Good morning. It is a blessing to share this good news of Jesus Christ with you this morning. The title of our sermon today is The Center That Holds. The Center That Holds. And it's a follow-up to Mark Buchanan's seminar a couple of Thursdays ago now, I believe. To get us started, I'm just going to read to you the opening lines from a poem by the famous Irish poet, W.B. Yeats. His poem is called The Second Coming. Just would you listen to these lines? Turning and turning in a widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Let me repeat those lines. Turning and turning in a widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Now, what Yeats is doing here, if you can picture it, is he is describing a society to us where there's a falcon, a foundation for society. And society is starting to move away from this center. And as society does so, it's moving around a new foundation, and things begin to fall apart. And whatever this new foundation is, it can't hold. It can't hold society together. And this is the idea that we're going to explore today. What is the foundation for a racially just society? Now, if you attended that seminar uh, two Thursdays ago, you remember Derwin mentioned he has a black friend who said everyone's smiling at him. Well, that's me. Uh, I don't know if Derwin's my friend, but that's a different thing. Um, that's me. I go running, and people are smiling at me. And it's so confusing. I'm like, what is going on here? Is it my hair? Is it what is happening? But it's as though the world, the world has awakened to the color of my skin. I don't know about you, but when I awaken, I'm terrible to be around. When I awaken from my nap, you don't want to be near me. It takes a while for, for me to wake up. My wife, on the other hand, just she's up and she's ready to go. And the video of George Floyd's last moment, it's had this reawakening effect on our society, hasn't it? Suddenly, we, we realize that in 2020, there's still this evil walking in our midst. It's called racism. And much like we all wake up in different ways, we need different ways to process what we see on that video. Some of us need time, just like me, to, to actually wake up to the fact that this thing is still here. Some of us are quick to action. We take to social media. We take to the streets. Something has to be done. Something has to be done right now. Some of us want to go back to sleep, if we're honest. We just wish that as hard as 2020 has already been, 
we, we don't have to deal with racism as well. I've heard people say things like they're angry, they're frustrated, confused, maybe even guilty. Just watching that video. And there's been this overwhelming protest against what we see on display in that video. Because we believe that human life is sacred. That should not happen. Not only that, we believe that human life, all human life, is actually equally sacred. Nobody should have to go through that. No one should be oppressed on the basis of race. I have the permission of the leadership of Hillside to say that it shouldn't be said, but racism is wrong. And at Hillside, we value, we treasure the diversity that God has given to us. We also believe that all human life is equally sacred. But here's a confession. I, as, as busy as the world has been, I've been preoccupied with this one question that's just been nagging at me the past couple of months. And recently started screaming at me as I've thought about this topic. And at some point, I realized that this is a question that not a lot of people can raise, actually. That I'm qualified to raise because of the color of my skin. Because if I raise this question, no one will think I'm a racist uh, because of the color of my skin. I don't have to try to convince anyone that I am not. And it's actually the reason why I'm here today. Because I've been thinking about why. Why do we believe that all human life is equally sacred? Why is it? Why do we believe that my life, the lives of my children who were on the worship team just now, my friends, my family, why are our lives just as sacred as your lives? The lives of your children, your family, your loved ones. Why is that? All of us on the streets and, and protesting, I, I wonder if we've actually thought about this. Why is human life equally sacred? What is the basis for this statement? What is the foundation for this belief that apparently a lot of us have? You might say to me, well, what does it matter? Isn't it enough? that we're all standing together with the black community? What does it matter, really? Does, is the why that important? If you're black, you might even say, well, shouldn't we be focused on how to deal with this instead of why? We finally get the support that we want. What does it matter why we believe that all lives are sacred? Well, if, if it's a matter of urgency, then yes, I, I agree. Um, the how is more important because something happened and we have to deal with it. But if we're really interested in not just fighting racial discrimination, but winning this battle, then the why is perhaps one of the 
biggest, most pressing questions in front of us as a society today. Because where we have a why, where we know why human life is sacred, we have conviction. We have persistence. This will not just be a fad that's here today and then, you know, maybe in the fall something new comes. There will be creativity. We will figure out the how if we can just settle on the why. Well, as it turns out, the why is a bit difficult for us to figure out. Why is human life equally sacred? We can't appraise a human being this in using common methods. For example, you know, if you're appraising someone you're going to marry, a life partner, we would say, are they intelligent? Are they funny? Are they compassionate? But if we appraise human life this way, then we're obviously of different worth. We're not, we're not worth the same. I don't have a sense of humor, and so I might be worth less. We can't appraise or establish human worth using money either. We use money for so many things, but we can't use it in this, in this instance. If you take the richest man in the world right now, Jeff Bezos, and you take the poorest person from South Sudan, even though the distance between them as far as wealth goes is ridiculous, we would still say that that man, that poor person in South Sudan, his life is just as sacred as the richest man in the world. So money doesn't get us there. So what is it that we're talking about? We can't even use science, actually. Science is not designed to answer this question. Science cannot tell us what makes a human life sacred. Here's one place that we could look. We could try the law. The law tells us, or in the eyes of the law, we should all be equal. So we could try the law, but it doesn't give us what we want. And here's why. Once upon a time, slavery was legal. Once upon a time, it was illegal for women to vote. And yet we would say that even in those times, the life of a slave was just as sacred as the life of their slave owner. And the life of a woman was just as sacred as the life of a man. So the law is not the, what establishes our worth as human beings. It's meant to protect it, but it's not the source of human worth. So what is it? What is this thing? What is this foundation what is this basis, this center that we are building racial justice on? Let's try one more place. Because the question is just um, so urgent. How about ethics? Human ideals, you know, like democracy and freedom and tolerance and equality. Could that be what gives us our worth? Is that why black lives matter? Because we have an ideal of equality? Well, I ideals have been great, actually. 
human beings, all of us, we've been able to accomplish a lot socially because of ideals like democracy and freedom. But you see, ideals are like vehicles. They can get us far. They can get us as far as Halifax from Vancouver. But like vehicles, they break down at some point. They don't quite get to the heart of the matter. For example, an ideal is not eternal. How do we deal with racial injustice that happened centuries, thousands of years ago, when those ideals did not exist? Who will bring justice for those people? An ideal is not all-knowing. It's not omniscient. An ideal cannot see that black man who went running in his neighborhood and he was attacked. But there were no cameras, no cell phone cameras to capture the moment. And so he didn't get justice. An ideal cannot see that. An ideal is not even all powerful. An ideal is not strong enough to take on the type of the type of depravity that we see on display in that George Floyd video. An ideal just doesn't have the power to deal with that kind of depravity. An ideal does not have the load-bearing capacity to support a society that is racially just. It doesn't have it. And we're running out of options of where to look. What then is the center that will hold? Well, allow me to read some words to you from the history of the struggle for human equality. 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was being adopted, here are the words that the Founding Fathers used. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, created equal, that they are endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 1863, Abraham Lincoln, in the middle of the American Civil War, which had slavery at the center of that conflict, he said... Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether this nation or any other nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. Of course, 1789, William Wilberforce, speaking in the British House of Commons for the abolition of slavery, he says, a trade founded in iniquity and carried on as this must be abolished. Let the policy be what it might. Let the consequences be what they would. I from this moment determined that I would never rest till I had effected its abolition. I could not believe that the same being... You notice the word, the same being who forbids rapine and bloodshed had made rapine and bloodshed necessary for the well-being of any part of his universe. Martin Luther King, no, no, we are not satisfied 
and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. And this will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children, now we're getting somewhere, God's children will be able to sing with new meaning. What these quotes seem to be telling us is that we've been asking the wrong question all along. Because the question is not, what is the center that will hold? What is the foundation for a just society? The question actually is, who is the center that holds? Who is the center that holds? I would like to invite you to please stand if you're able as we read from God's word. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. Lord, we bless you this morning. We magnify you this morning. Jesus, we lift you up because in you, all things hold together. You are the foundation for our worth. You are the foundation that keeps our society together. You are the reason for racial justice. Lord, we thank you because in you, all things hold together. Would you give us eyes to see this? Would you give us eyes to see this? The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the one who gives value to human life. We've looked everywhere else. It is in him that we find value. I know we're familiar with the verse that talks about how God created us in his image and likeness. But let's just take a minute to think about what the Bible is saying here. Let's just think about it. I want you to imagine I have these two pieces of paper. One's black, one's white. One's a different thickness than the other. One's a different size than the other. These are obviously two different pieces of paper. What the Bible is saying to us is, imagine now that I'm the wealthiest man in the world, and I put my fingerprint on both of these, and that gives you access to all of my accounts. Now, which one of these is more valuable now? They are both of equal value. We are valuable. We have our value because we carry the fingerprint of God. That is the basis for human value. And it is written that the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. We received the breath of God and this is what gave us value. And it was Jesus who did that for he is the light who lights every man who comes into the world. He's the source of human value. But he's not only the source of our value, he also actually establishes the price for a human life. Have you ever thought about that? What's the price of a human being? Price is different than value. Price is what we pay for something that has value. And after we were created, after we were sold into sin and death, Christ paid the price to redeem us. This is the gospel. And he offers the same price for every human life. 
This offer is the same. What is the price for a human life? Do you know? Would you like to know? All the gold and silver in the world cannot buy you a human being. What is the price for something that contains the breath of God? It is the breath of God. And so it is written that Jesus cried out on the cross. It is finished. And then he breathed his last. His final breath is the price for a human life. And that offer is the same for every human being. So not only does he give us our value, not only does he establish our price, but he doesn't stop there. During the seminar, we talked about the destiny of human beings, of the race. And, and we talked about Revelation 5 and Revelation 7. And this heavenly gathering of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Jesus Christ also establishes the destiny of every human life. And it's the same. So whether it's our creation, or our redemption, or our destiny, we are all equal in the eyes of God. This is the reason why every human life is sacred. It's because of Jesus. But so what? What difference does it make? What difference does making Jesus the center of racial justice, what difference does that make? That's the question the world is asking. That's the, church that, the, the question that the church is asking. What do we have to bring to the table that's any different? So that's the closing thought for this sermon. God's purpose for this age that we're in right now, the age of the church, is to create a body for Christ, a bride for him, a bride that he will come back to from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Racism is directly opposed to God's purpose for this age. You can't think of any other opposite message. Directly opposed. And so as Christians, when I, I believe that when we see racial discrimination playing out on a large scale, when we see a people consistently oppressed over a period of time, it's a signal for us to think about what we're looking at. This, we're not just looking at human failure. We're not just looking at human ignorance. I believe that we're looking at a direct a, attack, at a, at a positively evil program to frustrate God's purpose for this age. It's an attempt to frustrate God's plan Give Jesus Christ a bride that is beautiful in all its diversity. And what that means is this. As citizens of Canada, we can add our weight, you know, to all the effort, efforts through policy, through education, through reforms, everything that's going on. We need to support all of those things. Our gospel demands that we support them. But as citizens of heaven, 
It is our divine privilege to bring the resources of heaven to this topic. To bring prayer, to bring fasting, intercession, prophecy, divine love, all of these tools that God has given to us, we can bring them to this issue of racism because we know that we're dealing with something that is opposed to God's heart, to God's purposes. We can bring the power of the Holy Spirit when we deal with these issues. The Holy Spirit who even now is moving throughout the world, calling people from every race, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, this spirit who is building the body in unity. We can do things in the power of the Holy Spirit to fight racial discrimination. You know, every time I see the picture of someone on one knee with one hand up, I think to myself, thank God that as a Christian, when they are done lifting up one arm and getting off one knee, we can remain on both knees and we can lift up holy hands to Jesus Christ and things will happen. The world may be moving away from Christ. The world may not want to hear that Jesus Christ is the reason for racial equality, that he's the foundation for it. But one thing that really encourages me, and I wanted to encourage you today, is this. Jesus has promised that whenever we declare him as the center, whenever we declare him as the son of God, whenever we declare that he is the one in whom all things hold together, that he will build his church, he will accomplish his purpose. And the gates of hell will not prevail against him. So I just want to pray now that whether you're, uh, you are a victim of discrimination of any kind. That as you listen to this, the Lord will just give you the grace to receive the worth that he has placed on you. That if you are struggling with discrimination in your heart, that the Lord will give you a new heart. He has the power to do it. I pray that if you're fighting against discrimination of any kind, that the Lord would make you strong. That he would remind you that he is a center that can never be shaken. In him, all things hold together. God bless you, Hillside.